live from the Livingston campus of Rutgers University. This is RLC WVPH in Piscataway. 90.3 The Core. Independent community radio from Piscataway High School and Rutgers University. Learn more at thecore.fm. Many voices. One station. This is 90.3 The Core. Hello and welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. I'm James, your host, and today we're going to have a really interesting show, I'm sure. In 1962, Rachel Carson laid out a frightening and all-too-foreboding predicament. She said, quote, The question is whether any civilization can wage relentless war on life without destroying itself and without losing the right to be called civilized. Now, nearly 60 years later, those words seem to echo more voraciously than ever. According to the leading scientists, this week, over 40 billion tons of ice will melt in Greenland as a result of record-breaking heat across northern Europe. This will be enough to measurably raise global sea levels and comes on top of unprecedented heat waves in North America, South Asia, and the Middle East just this summer alone. These crisis-level conditions are fueling a wave of human rights abuses. Hundreds of thousands of refugees in Bangladesh are without shelter after a wave of flooding, rapidly changing ecosystems and straining resources through Central America, forcing many desert people to either choose death or take the treacherous journey north, while they're often met with increasingly nationalistic regimes. Scientists say that sea level rise will wipe away entire towns in New Jersey. In so many ways, it seems like we're breaking down as a society. But there is hope. Recent years have seen a new wave of activism and awareness around the climate crisis. People are using new tools and strategies that are targeting the systemic and structural contributors to ecological destruction, and they're sparking transformation. Today, we are joined by Olivia Holler, Emily Chang, John Mulligan, and Celine... Nerozigu? Nerozigu. Nerozigu. Okay, got it. Um of students for environmental awareness at Rutgers, a student-run activist organization that motivates and inspires individuals to help protect, conserve, and clean up the environment. We are committed to creating, they are committed to creating environmental change at Rutgers in New Jersey, and welcome everybody. Hello. Thanks, good to be here. It's great to be here, thank you. Um, So let's just get started with what what brought you all to environmental awareness and activism. So I have sort of always been uh, an environmentalist since I was a kid. Um, I used to make like posters about like animal rights when I was like in elementary school, but it mostly uh, stemmed from my sisters, my older sisters. They were very environmental oriented and uh, I just became the most out of the three of us. Um, Yeah. So, and I, I study environmental policy. So, um, yeah, so I was always environmentally oriented, including in college. Nice. Um, for myself, I think that um, I've always been kind of like loosely interested in the environment. It wasn't like a big passion for me. I went to like sleepaway camp uh, and stuff when I was younger. And um, I think it's just really easy to um, neglect the environment. I mean, like you go hiking a lot and you see like tons of garbage everywhere. We're not taking care um, of 
the uh, area around us. And so I think I kind of like got into it more like that, seeing certain problems and then delving into it more. Environmental issues are kind of the issues of our time and our generation, I think. So I've just kind of, you know, snowballed into it myself. Um, for me, I would say um, I grew up next to the Hudson River and um, I sort of was aware of the fact that it had once just been uh, sort of this river and uh, it got polluted. Um, and I think throughout my childhood, I saw it as this huge um issue that needed to be resolved, but I didn't really uh, become passionate about it until um, my senior year in high school when I took an environmental science class. And um, that really kickstarted my um, investment into um, becoming more passionate about the environment. Nice. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I was first involved in human rights organizations and human rights advocacy, and I didn't really see the environment as a social issue. I thought it was very scientific, and especially climate change was really confusing to me. And then um, I got involved with Amnesty and then the um, People's Climate March in 2014, um, and that really opened my eyes to how like climate change and the environment intersects with um human rights, women's rights, um, and other um, things like that. And so, then, yeah. And then um, in college, I took a class called Environmental Justice and Moral Literature, and that really just opened my perspective on how everything intersected. Nice, nice Amnesty shout out. As a <laughs> current member of the Rutgers chapter of Amnesty, it's always great to see how it inspires people. Um, I know, um, I think almost all of you here are either environmental policy majors or minors. Um, I think that's like an area of Rutgers that not many people know about. If you mm -hmm. want to just kind of describe the kind of classes you take yeah. and like what you're studying. Yeah, totally. So our uh, my degree and Emily's degree and John's minor is uh, called Environmental Policy Institutions and Behavior, shortened as EPIB. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it kind of, the department that we're in is called the Department of Human Ecology. So we study mainly how um, humans interact with the environment and how we, how they perceive climate change and environmental issues. So, but with the major, you can do a lot of different things. You can like really focus on the policy aspect. We have a lot of policy classes like climate change policy, U.S. environmental policy, um, hmm? <laughs> um, and or you could just take like a bunch of like theory classes um, that like really focus on like um, social justice theory, um, environmental theories. Like a, you know, it's it's very uh, versatile. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. Any other like additions you want to add or now? <laughs> we can move on. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would just add on to that um, and say like there are a lot of different departments at Rutgers, you know, and I think um, academically. Um, we all look at like social issues and try and see underlying um, causes and, and different related factors. And so the Department of Human Ecology really pulls out the environmental underlying issues um, and, and causes and factors surrounding those. So um, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have too much to add on to that, but I mean, yeah. just, just really kind of 
being focused in that line of thinking yeah, uh, and, and always bringing it back to that. Mm-hmm. And I think the, one of the coolest things about the Department of Human Ecology is that it's so interdisciplinary. Uh, mm. There are like uh, some professors that are, um, you know, have actually studied like sociology and like human ecology. And like there are other professors that are like have PhDs in like uh, science and like environmental science and like or uh, microbiology or something, and there are other scientists. I mean, there are other uh, professors. Um, I think one just joined the department. I don't remember her name, but she's like from the um, Africana Studies department. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very inter- interdisciplinary. Yeah, so it's really cool. And yeah, yeah, interdisciplinary. You yeah. talk about that, and it really tries to combine. It's in SEBS, so okay. it really tries to combine. You know, like the hard sciences with mm-hmm. the social sciences, because um, they are you know linked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, so obviously, on Core of the Matter, we like to talk about um, how different issues affect not only kind of the broader um, society, because climate change is this huge thing, and every other issue is affected by it. Climate is, I guess, what's occurring in the background of everything, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so how do you think climate change affects local communities like Piscataway here and also New Brunswick as well? I think the um, most obvious one is um, the amount of flooding that we're experiencing. Um, the previous year, I believe it was 2018, um, New Jersey experienced um, the most amount of rain it's experienced uh, in recorded history. We uh, got 64 inches of rain when our average rainfall is 44 inches. So it was a crazy amount. And like two years prior than that, we had a drought for like a year. So it's really, you know, it's kind of like spiraling. And like this year, we've also like received a, a lot of rain. And I don't think it's calculated how much we've um, received yet. But, you know, we've all been experiencing these crazy storms that have been happening that just like dump like three inches of water. Mm-hmm. And um, with Piscataway and uh, especially New Brunswick, which I, I know more about New Brunswick because I'm uh, on Cook College. Um, but so uh, within these uh, communities, there's so much development, and with development comes with uh, more impervious surface, and impervious surface is when rain uh, and water is like uh, nearly, it's nearly impossible for it to penetrate, and that can be just like asphalt, sidewalk, roads, um, buildings, or even like certain grass, because grass sometimes is like so uh, compacted down from either just like humans like stepping on it or um like uh, big machinery. So like there's massive amounts of impervious surface that creates so much flooding and that creates like uh, damage to infrastructure. Interesting. Um, Do you want to say some yeah. stuff? Oh, um, yeah. So earlier you said that climate change is in the background of a lot of these issues. And so something to like remember is that climate change intensifies existing inequalities. So um, like bouncing back after um, like intense weather Mm -hmm. and other types of events, um, it'll be harder when they're more frequent and more um, destructive. Right, especially if you're living in an area that doesn't really experience that much um, flooding and um, those houses, those people don't have flood insurance. So when these um, crazy storms come through and they flood these homes, they damage them. They might even like break the, um, what's it called? the foundation foundation oh, thank you right. yeah the foundation in the house and like it, that costs mm-hmm. like thousands of dollars and these people don't have flood insurance so they're just completely you know they don't know what to do and that, especially with people um in communities where like they're um they're like uh disadvantaged communities they they, they don't have you know mm-hmm. they don't have flood insurance so they're they're you know that's an, another layer yeah, um, new places all. are flooding also yeah yeah, yeah. um and yeah i want to add something onto this whenever we think about um, issues and why you should care. I always think 
back to what Martin Luther King Jr. said about uh, injustice uh, anywhere is injustice everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all have a stake in these large global issues because, um, you know, farmers being affected across the world has an effect on us. Um, more people being affected by wars driven by food shortages and water shortages, which are exacerbated by climate change, um, those refugees will affect us. And so I think that it's really important to link the local impacts and the global impacts and realize how intertwined big issues like this are. So um, just kind of remembering that piece of the issue of climate change as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, Emily, you brought up a good point about how climate change does exacerbate existing inequalities. And I think a theme that we've kind of traced um, on Core of the Matter is the fact that New Brunswick is a very socially stratified city. Mm -hmm. um, And that often exacerbates a lot of issues that are already Mm -hmm. present. Um, So what do you think, um, I know you touched upon kind of like the inequality aspect. What are some of the biggest drivers of, of climate change? Um, I think we were talking about this last night and what we should say, because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's such a huge question. Yeah. Um, so simply put, the biggest contributor to climate change is the increase of carbon emissions. But it's kind of like, what is causing that? That's mm-hmm. the question that we need to be asking. I think, Emily, I think that's um, better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Capitalism <laughs> is driving a lot of um, the carbon emissions. Um like we measure we measure temperature increase from like the industrial time because industrialization like so much more emissions um, were being put out and countries like the U.S. were getting wealthier so you have to connect capitalism with imperialism and white supremacy and the way that um, countries in the global south are being um, developed for um, for different projects and to make um, the developed countries like wealthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think it's important to note that like um, capitalism is is um, the the type the type of capitalism that we have in our nation right now is um, causes a lot of destruction. It's kind of just like um, you know just making the the biggest kind of profit, no matter like what causes they have. Um, but I think um, a problem or or a solution to that is um, the a type of corporation called a B corporation, and uh, B corporation is when instead of having like a um, a, a bottom line, it's that they have a triple bottom line. So they uh, take um, the environment, um, social or society, and um, their profits equally. They they uh, equate all those um, factors. So they have a, like a legal responsibility to these um, three uh, to the triple bottom line. So I think that could be. Solution. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that I would add that um, we look at climate change as this huge central problem that we all have to deal with. But another way to look at it, which we've been getting at, is climate change is really a symptom of an underlying problem that has allowed um, climate change to um, grow into such a big issue. Yeah. You know, you look at um, carbon emissions from fossil fuels and Our entire economy is reliant on fossil fuels um, and, uh, um, you know, government has supported um, fossil fuels with like tax breaks and uh, incentives and things like that. And also what Olivia mentioned about um, profit is is something we really love hitting on because um, these corporations are legally obligated (laughs) to be profitable for their shareholders. So if that means... Um, 
you know, looking past human rights obligations overseas, if that means um, not implementing a cleaner technology because they'll make more money, they're obligated to do that. So kind of trying to rethink this whole underlying structure of what does profit mean um, and is profit um, really the, the best kind of... Um, you know, way we should we should look for. Yeah, uh, we should like. Yeah, is greed good? Yeah, <laughs> right. we, we <laughs> yeah. should really like um, like number one prioritize that aspect of of like you know our economy, which of course we all, we need to make profits, but we should also take uh, the environment and society into account. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, a lot of what you're saying about how it is all connected, how there are these economic contributors to what's going on. That's something that's been studied a lot at Rutgers, I feel like. A lot of professors are looking at that. I'm sure you could all speak to different professors that are doing that. Um, but do you think Rutgers does a good job at supporting that kind of research into both just general climate research and also more kind of systemic and social contributors to ecological destruction? Um, I think we were talking about this last night when we were looking through the questions. And um, we think, yes, we think... Um, Rutgers does a good uh, does a good job with um, researching um, like climate science and even like social impacts of climate change, but um, we were we decided that they don't do a good job of effectively um, disseminating the um, studies like down to like the undergraduate level. Mm -hmm. So like you know there are like fifty thousand undergraduates, and um, I think it would be really it would be really beneficial if um, Rutgers like did a better job at like taking the the um, science and like the the studies that they've been funding and um, show uh, sharing those like results with um, students and like involving those more in like um, like lesson plans or something. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Um, I'll also just plug, I interned for the Rutgers Climate Institute, and our um, our mission as an institute is to support climate research um, among faculty and students. Um, so there are, like, some university initiatives going on. Okay. And it's kind of like an off-topic question that I did not send to you before this. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know one of the big divides between the global north and the south is the fact that there's this huge tech and research divide where a lot of the emerging green technologies and renewable energy sources are coming from the global north. And you have all of these countries in, this, in the south, like India, China, mm -hmm. and a lot of countries in South America that are about to go on this massive extraction raid mm -hmm. and pretty much like carbonize a lot of the planet, um, which in a way is somewhat... Um, unequal because, you know, the U.S. and much of the global north has had this opportunity to massively decarbonize the entire planet because mm -hmm. they started industrializing way before these yeah. countries did. Um, do you think that Rutgers plays a role in maybe helping to distribute that tech to different areas and communities that may not have access to it? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything. Are you asking, like, um, if... If we, like, we know of any, like, professors that, like, do research in, like, um Yeah, I'm not sure. Stuff. I know there's, like, a geotechnical engineering, like, department that right. is doing some kind of, like, development. Um, but I'm just wondering if you think that there's there should be more relationships, maybe? I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, sure. I think we should be sharing mm -hmm. um, technology with the Global South so we can, um, uh, you know keep as much carbon out of the atmosphere as possible. And if we have the technology that can help them um, 
get to that, um, to get to the point where, where we're at, then I think that we should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you raised such an interesting um, point that's yeah. been talked about for a long time and will continue to be talked about for the foreseeable future. And um, you're referencing like leapfrogging. So mm-hmm. these global South countries, instead yeah. of having to build all these coal plants mm-hmm. um, and go through an industrial age like yeah. the United States, they can leapfrog past that with mm-hmm. green technology. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's a that's a great idea, but they're like, um, it's, it's not feasible for on multiple levels. I think part of our responsibility as a global north is um, our drive for consumerism is forcing these global south countries to industrialize rapidly. And what is the cheapest way to do that mm-hmm. with building you know, cheap coal plants um, and even bringing in uh, fossil fuels from global north countries as well? Yeah. Um, so there's kind of like multiple issues wrapped around that. Um, which is, you know, we could get into all day. <laughs> so do you think it's more of decarbonizing to give them decarbonizing in the north to give the south a chance or is it more giving them the resources so they don't have to carbonize as much? I know it's a hard question, but I don't know. I think it's the latter. Okay. Yeah, I just think it's um I think it's a um well, I think it's it's a really difficult question because like we're we're coming from like the um perspective of like we had an industrial revolution we um contributed to a lot of the carbon emissions that are in the atmosphere right now and we're telling these countries hey please don't do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and I think we can only like be successful at that if we help them with the technology mm-hmm. which kind of a lot I don't but, think many people understand that because like we're where it's it's not a zero-sum game as much as we think it is you yeah. Know, yeah where you know yeah it's kind of this race yeah. for yeah because yeah. I, I know like a lot of people who um aren't I don't, I don't think they're like climate deniers but like they're people who um kind of always be like well like why should we do anything when like China and India are like polluting so much um and like yeah, so I, that's just just got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely it's yeah. definitely a difficult question, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting to think about how universities can maybe help alleviate, alleviate mm-hmm. that divide. Um, but you talked about how Rutgers does a good amount to support research um, into climate. But do you think that kind of investment in research is reflected um, in how the university operates in terms of its own emissions and <laughs> its own kind of carbon footprint? Yeah, um, that's a really good question because I think a lot of what uh, Students for Environmental Awareness um, works on is um, de- or, or decreasing the, the carbon footprint of um, Rutgers. So we have the... Um, like one campaign, um, I'm, I forget, I'm forgetting this. <laughs> um, seafood. Okay, yeah. yeah, seafood. So we had um, seafood works with um, compost. So, okay. or they, yeah, so they talk Similar about like emissions. food waste. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they um, work on like um, trying to get like the dining halls to like compost. So, you know, because those emissions are, are, are quite hefty. Um, and we have a, um, campaign called are you thrifty and that emphasizes um thrifting clothes and like not even thrifting clothes but thrifting like just regular like items like you know Mm -hmm. tables desks chairs um uh yeah i'd say it's a lot of what we're getting at is this emphasis on our culture of consumption yeah Mm -hmm. and the 
byproducts we produce in, in the form of waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm very guilty of this myself. I think a lot of us, if we look internally um, in the global north, um, you know, we are <laughs> big carbon footprints. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that what you're getting at is trying to practice what we preach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the per capita consumption of um, or carbon emissions, rather, the United States leads the way. Um, you know, so people say if you look at or, you know, people are saying China's uh, emitting so many carbon emissions, but that's uh, in totality kind of. But, you know, mm-hmm. one American produces the same amount of carbon emissions as, you know, uh, in, in the two digits of people in, in the global Illuminate, south. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of trying to grapple with that. And um, also looking at the effectiveness of individual change versus structural change, um, how those are interlinked. Mm-hmm. And you really, truly do need both. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's a, a nuanced conversation yeah. we're getting to. Um, yeah, and I know. Yeah, you. Oh. Have some. <laughs> yeah, so to go back to your question about whether um, support for research is reflected in the university's activities, I don't think from like a top down level, it there is enough action being done. Definitely, like a lot of the um, support and momentum is coming from students. So compared to other schools, I think Rutgers is falling behind, um, especially compared to other schools in the Big Ten, for instance. Um, Having, I don't think we have like a really comprehensive climate action plan um, detailing where emissions are coming from in different departments of the university and um, benchmarks for carbon neutrality by a certain date. Um, so that's just like on a practical level. And then other steps the university could take but haven't is divesting from fossil fuels. That would show that Rutgers is trying to be um, a really strong leader on climate change. Um, and since we haven't taken those steps to divest and release that um, the social um, capital yeah, the yeah social capital of um, fossil fuels um, so we haven't done that and then um, we don't have an office of sustainability yet um, there's student support for it from the Rutgers the uh, sustainability coalition um, and yeah so a lot of like the action, I think, is coming from students, not necessarily like the administration at all. Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners who don't know, the Sustainability Coalition is that a group of different organizations? Um, and like, yeah, what are exactly what what exactly like are they kind of advocating for? Besides, I guess is it just like the office or? Yeah, I mean, um, the main mission is the Office of Sustainability, and I'm going to definitely jump in here because um, you know about the Office of Sustainability. <laughs> but it's um, it's a it's a good coalition of organizations not strictly focused on environmental issues like Students for Environmental Awareness. Um, Enactus is a big part of the uh, Sustainability Coalition, which is uh, the business school okay. group. Yeah. yeah, we have engineers involved, mm-hmm. um, the Engineering Governors Council um, involved. So it's, it's trying to get the entire university together. It's from the student level. Mm-hmm. Um, Professors are involved, though. Yeah, some yeah. Prof- but basically no administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think if we had an Office of Sustainability, that would really show at least that, like, the university and the students are both coming together. Um, 
because they offer like resources for students um, to implement different sustainability projects um, and different ways to measure like um, carbon emission reductions. And so without having a centralized office, it makes efforts really difficult and a lot more spread apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And it's also important to um, emphasize that um, sustainability is not just about the environment. It's about the balance of uh, the environment, society and our economy. So Mm -hmm. that's why... um, uh, the Sustainability Coalition is so um, interdisciplinary within their um, students who represent the organizations. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of emissions reductions, um, the New Jersey utility, PSE&G, just announced um, a net zero 2050 plan, um, which is like really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you had um, Governor Murphy sign the Global Warming Response Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts on on this like new legislation kind of hitting New Jersey. Yeah, I got this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, the Global Warming Response Act was originally passed in 2007. So um, and that kind of um, set like uh, goals for 2020 and 2050. And what um, uh, Governor Murphy signed um, last week was like updates to it. So um, they just like um, re rearrange some like dates and like um, goals for like emissions. Um, and uh, apparently we already met the 2020 goal. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> go New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, go New Jersey. Um, yeah, so, and um, I think what's the, so I, I really like the legislation. Um, I think it's like a definitely like a good step in the right direction. And I think um, an even cooler thing is the Global Warming Solutions Funds Act. So that um, allows us to join um, a program called REGI. That's like the acronym RGGI, uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And that is um, an initiative between, um, I think, like nine or ten northeastern states and like it goes on to mid-Atlantic. Um, and that's basically a cap-and-trade program between um, between these states. And um, it's like uh, slowly decreasing the emissions of, I think, the... I don't know if it's the transportation sector or the um, electricity sector. I think it's the electricity. Um, So, um, yeah. So, it's a really cool um, thing because I love cap and trade. (laughs) It's one of my favorite solutions, like, because everyone, like, talks between, um, like, carbon tax or uh, cap and trade. And I think cap and trade is... Um, really cool. It's just really difficult to implement and for it to be like balanced because like each state has like a, um, a certain amount of like um, credits that they can use for like how much carbon they can emit and like they can sell the ones that they don't use. So we're actually with the um, Global Warming Solutions Funds Act that allows us to um, use the money from Reggie that we're going to be getting, I think in like next March or something. That's when our, when we fir- uh, enter the first um, um, phase. Yeah, for the first phase or something, first market something. Oh, quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first, okay, yeah, first quarter. quarter. Um, yeah, so we'll be using that, and that I think I think our pr- uh, priorities are um, electrifying um, the transportation sector. That's I think that's our goal. So I think that's really awesome. So I'm really happy with the legislation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then obviously there's these kind of larger national developments around um, climate change legislation. You mm-hmm. have. Um, the Green New Deal, you, we are just in the midst of a presidential debate, which I'm sure <laughs> hopefully yeah. climate change does come up, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of what can be done at a national level? And are there kind of policy proposals out there that you seem that you think are very, or would be effective? Um, I think the Green New Deal would be really awesome to pass because it's a, it's a resolution, not um, an actual uh, 
like bill. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that um, being said, it would just it's just like a, a nice outline of like what we should be doing and um, following the the Green New Deal. We would be passing actual um, legislation um, to meet those goals. Um, I think that would be great. Um, I don't know if the Green New Deal will actually get passed, but something like that would be really awesome. Um, and I think something something like a cap-and-trade program um, to decrease carbon emissions would be awesome, like nationwide. It would be really difficult to implement, but I think it could happen between, like, regions, like kind of what Reggie's doing and between, like, different regions in uh, in America. I think that could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then just to kind of go back to, like, SEA, obviously this is an organization that is, like, a mix of advocacy, activism, and awareness. And I think it'd just be interesting to know, like, how you kind of balance both what's the value in both and, you know, how you kind of just operate? Um, yeah, so um, SEA, I think, notoriously, no, that's a, that has a negative <laughs> connotation. In recent history. <laughs> in recent history, <laughs> um, in recent history, um, We've mainly been like an educational based organization. So like our campaigns focus on just spreading awareness of like these environmental issues and getting people involved. And um, yeah, so I think um, we haven't really done much activism stuff. Um, I think until like last year, like I know that we've had um, maybe like a couple carpools to like a, a climate strike somewhere in New Jersey. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I think, um, but this year um, we're heading into a different approach and becoming a bit more activist. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so something that we're working on right now is um, organizing a climate action week for September 20th to the 27th. Um, and this is in response to the, um, well, the global climate strike, um, which are is going to be like a series of strikes held by um, students and everyone in the general labor force, including um, professors can join in, just any sectors and any industries. Um, and this is um, in reaction to the United Nations Climate Summit, which is going to be held in New York City. Um, so for that, we're planning a week of different events highlighting um ways for people to take action, different climate solutions, and then also some kind of local action for the global climate strike. Um, And we're having a planning meeting tomorrow at (laughs) 7 to 9 p.m. at the AAUP AFT office at 11 Stone Street, if you're interested in learning more. Mm -hmm. And the strike will be September 20th. Friday. Yeah, Friday, yeah. Friday's for future. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, And then, obviously... Um, SEA has specific campaigns that you're running to around different environmental issues, and one of one big one is obviously students for environmental students of color for environmental justice. Um, what is this the, like the essence mm-hmm. of this campaign? Yeah, um, so I um, co-founded this campaign with um, Dorothy Lee, another student, um, in this spring, and our goal for that was to um, both create a space for other students of color um, because like the mainstream environmental movement and spaces can feel kind of exclusive and not totally feel like feeling like a welcome space and then also to create um, like a platform form for different organizations to work on environmental justice issues and so our big um, our big project last semester um, since it was our first semester was to do like education and creating like a space for people to come together so we organized an environmental justice panel featuring um, four different people in different environmental justice related um, 
jobs and spaces, um, including a professor, an organizer, um, people who worked in different nonprofits that were either directly related to not environmental justice or indirectly. And then we also organized um, a skill sharing workshop, bringing different organizations together to um, teach other students about how their issue related to climate justice or just like general skills to have for um, organizing. Mm-hmm. And then how would you define, all of you can jump into, um, environmental justice? Um, I would define environmental justice as a goal um, where the environment is open, safe, clean, accessible, um, and also with a transformation of our economic and social systems. Um, So one where um, people, there's access to healthcare, there's there's like clean jobs and um, just general justice overall. Um, So some like common definition of environmental justice that you might hear is the equal distribution of environmental harms and benefits. Um, But that really doesn't seek to like change our Mm -hmm. economic system and like change it, um, like address the underlying issues that cause like environmental destruction and environmental pollution to be placed in like communities of color. And so um, I think it's more of a goal to really change, change all of those structures. do you want to take a break? Okay. <laughs> um, and then you're talking about, too, how um, the environmental movement obviously has not been inclusive of, of non-white people historically. Um, what do you think that movements for racial justice and movements for environmental justice can learn, learn from each other? Um, so uh, Emily and I took an environmental justice class in the spring. It was in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we actually have um, talked about that a lot because um, the racial justice movement has, um, I think, I think from when the environmental justice movement like started um, popping up and like just like was you know on its like first couple legs, um, we, uh, they were looking um, back to the the racial justice movement, and I think they um, um, they wanted to like be a little different. Um, from like what the racial justice movement was and the, um, the main um, like the key factor of the racial justice movement was that they had like one like um, uh, point of, of like figure I guess of the of the movement and the environmental justice movement um, wanted to uh, be um, kind of more like everyone was like equal mm-hmm. so there wasn't like one exact leader um, but I think that has kind of uh, made it kind of hard to get people to listen to you in some way or another because um there's there's no like real um direct person to um listen to it's just like there's so many different environmental organizations that are working on so many different aspects Mm -hmm. of environmentalism like they're they're like you know the animal rights people like the water rights people the um air quality rights people and there's just like so many different aspects of it and i think um, it's really hard because there's so many different aspects of environmentalism, but I think you'd be um, really helpful to have like one like cohesive um, movement. And I th- kind of think that's where like the climate change movement is is uh, coming in, like the climate crisis with mm-hmm. um, what's going on now and like how we're um, following it with the Climate uh, Action Week in September. 
Yeah, I also think, like, historically, if we're looking at the mainstream environmental movement, um, like, the people who were leading it weren't the people who are most affected by right. environmental harms. And so when you don't, when you have, like, people disconnected from the issue, like, um, the most pressing issues aren't on the, the agenda, like, the main agenda. And so I think from there, like, we can learn from the racial justice movement, um, making sure people who are impacted by the issues leading it and not co-opting that from them. Yeah. Um, and then another campaign um, that SCA has also is Take Back the Tap, um, which I'm assuming is around water. <laughs> um, but what is kind of the goal of this campaign? Um, well, the main focus of Take Back the Tap, which is actually um, a, a chapter at Rutgers, which is part of a wider nationwide Take Back the Tap um, network under Food and Water Watch, um, is clean water access, just uh, generally. And so one of the things that Take Back the Tap has done in my time here at Rutgers is get more water bottle fill mm -hmm. stations around campus um, in libraries, uh, student centers, in dorm rooms, uh, or, or dorms, rather. Um, and, like, I've personally, as a Rutgers student, lived and had friends live in buildings where, like, the, the water fountains are just pretty inadequate. Um, and it's... it's actually difficult to just fill up your water bottle. Mm -hmm. um, and just so simple access to clean water um, on that front. And then also a big goal of Take Back the Tap is to eliminate single-use plastic water bottles um, because they're unnecessary when we have um, water fountains all around campus. You're not really leaving campus. You can bring a reusable water bottle everywhere. Um, so those are, those are the two big um, things Take Back the Tap has been focused on related to Rutgers. Um, we've been a little involved in the New Brunswick um, water issues, but but not too much for some reason. So um, if you go to Rutgers, you probably know that the New Brunswick public schools have lead pipe issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so the kids that go to those schools are exposed to dirty water. Um, but one thing that Take Back the Tap did last semester was start a petition um, to to kind of approach New Brunswick. Um, but looking back on it, we um, would have handled things a little differently because we didn't really, and this is kind of a problem in college towns, is you have college students coming in mm -hmm. and we see these issues for the first time, but these issues have been around for a while. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of difficult to try and engage in community stakeholders because people in the past have tried to engage with them and then you're here for four years and you leave. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing with us. So with our petition, we had Rutgers students um, sign them. It was written by Rutgers students and there really wasn't much engagement with the New Brunswick community itself. So um, trying to you know, get more involved in the community or just kind of understanding that you know, what, what the differences are between Rutgers and New Brunswick and trying to not um, come in with a solution, rather just come in with open ears and hear what the solutions that are being pioneered by the actual residents and stakeholders um, are and seeing how we can help them in that sort of line. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we actually had, that's really good. Um, we actually had uh, Charlie Cradiville on yeah. the show um, a few weeks ago talking about similar issues. 
um, with the water department and also the crazy history of yeah. some of the stuff oh that went gosh. down yeah. um, before we were all here. Um, but he did say, too, about the similar issue where there is a lack of engagement between um, the university and, and the, the whole community as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just an ongoing issue that um, I think a lot of student organizations can probably, I mean, I'm at Amnesty International, we could definitely do a better job at engaging with community stakeholders as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another campaign, too, um, is Are You Thrifty? Yeah. That SCA does. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, why, I, I guess some people might see, like, where is the connection between, like, environmental um, activism and advocacy and, like, thrifting? Yeah. Um, so I think something that's uh, coming more to light um as time passes, is um, the uh, environmental damage that is caused by um, the clothing industry, like the textile industry, rather. Um, There's so much um, dye that is used, like, for clothes, just, like, to, you know, to make them as they are, and that dye is, like, pretty toxic. And, like, so, um, you know, like, when clothes are being made, the dye is being used, and then, like, um, the, like, initial, um, I guess, like... um, fallout of the dye from like the the like first um wash from like when they're like before they the clothes are like um being uh, able to be sold um is 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 huge so that dyes is like a runoff and going into like streams and of course not um in america in like um developing nations where these textile industries are are usually um located and um when you thrift clothing it's like you know it's not perfect but it's it's um much more environmentally conscious and like it um, it it's less um, new clothes being um, made, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and not even just clothes. As I was saying before, like um, secondhand, um, just like anything, is so much better than like new things because um, it takes so much energy and clean water to make new things. It's ridiculous, and it's just like a, a complete waste. And when we could be drinking that water or something like that so it's always it's always better to buy things secondhand like even like a car um it also would divert those items from landfills yeah so um that also helps sort of clean up that end of the environment Mm -hmm. um and if we look at like why we like why landfills and incinerators are such a problem. Um, it's because like we have like a linear consumption economy where resources are extracted yeah. and then um, transported and they get made and generated and then used, consumed, and then eventually um, discarded, thrown away. And so swaps provide a space for people to engage in a different form of consumption, um, sharing um, on um, in, like an as-need basis. So no one is turned away from swaps. Um, it's bring what you can and like take what you need and so mm-hmm. um that kind of sharing just promotes like um a more sustainable form of consumption for yeah people. yeah totally and like at this point are you thrifty sort of, have has so many clothes that you can just like show up oh wow nice. yeah <laughs> yeah you can just like show up without anything just take stuff yeah and then how often do you usually um have swaps um, I think like it's multiple times a semester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. like monthly or something. Yeah, yeah. Like once a month or something. Yeah, yeah, four to six weeks. Yeah, about. Yeah, I would kind of like to see it um, more often, like maybe like biweekly or something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, something that yeah. we're trying to work on is starting a free store mm-hmm. at Rutgers, either like a free store or um, like a pay what you can, or maybe like a barter system, just like something different. Um, so having like a permanent space 
where people can access these like essential items. And then besides like those plans, are there any other plans that you have um, for next semester and next year as well? Yeah, um, so we have those campaigns. Um, we're probably, we might be introducing some campaign that just um, is in the works now, but um, we have the the uh, Climate Action Week mm. um, in September that we were talking about before, and that's like our big... Uh, Start. Yeah, a big yeah. start. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're really excited about it because it's like something very new. And um, I think it's really awesome to like just keep this conversation going and especially like start it at Rutgers, mm -hmm. like the yeah. climate crisis. Um, and then um, we have our normal Earth Week um, during the spring semester. And that like, I think that'll probably change a little bit in, in spring. So usually we have just like a, a bunch of like really awesome documentaries and like um, there's like free food and stuff. But I think we might want to change it up a bit and have it more being like active based. So, you know, people don't just like go see a movie and they're just like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very, very excited for the new semester. I think yeah. um, kind of like in a twisted way, like climate change is becoming such a big <laughs> issue that it's so important yeah. that we're very excited to take it on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, like yeah. we mentioned, we're going to be doing tons of events. We are going to be very active on social media, Yeah. on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, we have... Do <laughs> we have our handles? Our handles. Rutgers <laughs> Students for Environmental Awareness page on Facebook. It's on Facebook? Okay. Yeah. Do you know what our Instagram is? Our Instagram is rutgers.sea. Rutgers.sea. Yeah, follow us. <laughs> yeah, nice. and uh, during the semester, our meetings have constantly been oh, yeah. Monday evenings mm -hmm. at 9.15 p.m. in the Cook Student Center on um, in the George, campus. George H. Cook room. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. just made it a location mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, we're getting more members. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, something that I've been working on in collaborating with SEA has been um, an upcoming campaign around the University's Fossil Fuel Diversity fossil fuel investments mm -hmm. um, and there will obviously be announcements to be made um, come September so we're super excited about yeah. that as well yeah um, one question I like to end every show with is just like what's your vision of the future and like what oh, do you God. Hope, like <laughs> wow. kind of like achieve um, either at Rutgers or just more broadly okay wow <laughs> um, ideally um, I think I I my vision for, for the future is um, our generation, like, you know, very young millennials or, like, um, older Gen Z kids and just, like, the entire Gen Z um, become more active in the uh, climate crisis. Um, and I kind of see that coming because um, I'm on Twitter a lot and I see a lot of videos <laughs> talking about climate change. And they're not just, like, the normal, like, people that look like the type of people that are talking about climate change. Like, they're just, like, making videos. Um <laughs> you know, jokey videos talking about like climate change. So I think that's really good that um, they're like kind of infiltrating that area, that part of Twitter that um, people, so like they see like the words like climate change and like they, you know, look it up and they're learning more about it. Um, so my vision is that uh, our generation gets more involved and um, we can kind of just like slowly inch our ways into like government and um congress and like start changing the rules and like um you know we create more um organizations or like change like organizations like um goals so like they're more like kind of like aggressive or like we have bigger goals because we have to think big or else we're 
it's not gonna be good. Doomed. Yeah, doomed. <laughs> um, do you want to go? Oh, um, yeah. Um, like our generation is the last to um, really solve the issue of climate change. We have like a little bit over a decade to really curb emissions to keep uh, the average increase under 1.5 degrees Celsius, and then once we hit that, like like the world's going to turn to shit, basically. <laughs> and so um, my vision is that we use climate change as an opportunity to, like, address different inequalities mm-hmm. in society, um, addressing labor, labor, race, gender, mm-hmm. um, all of that, and just make sure that in curbing our emissions, we have a very just and fair society. Yeah. Yeah, I really love um, that question about um, your vision of the future because I think it, it's such a good way to get us inspired about what we want to do. So thank you. Um, but I think some of my, um, like, what do I want to, from, what do I want to happen to me in the next few years, I think, and, and to other people, is kind of just being more conscious about all these issues and things around us and of our decisions and specifically in, in um, consumption. Uh, one of my favorite documentaries is the minimalism documentary. I think it's still on Netflix. I'm far from a minimalist, but <laughs> I think just kind of the, the main theme of that is just being thoughtful of your choices. Um, and it's kind of like that idea of the swap, like um, take what you need. Mm-hmm. So kind of trying to change um, society in that kind of cultural way so um, would be, like, you know, one of my visions of the future, I guess. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think going off of what everyone said, um, I think um, the my vision would be that everyone uh, becomes more involved and more active in the environment, and especially um, as college students, like, we're... Um, at this point in our lives where we're really starting to um, decide what we want to do, not just um, how we ourselves are growing, but how we want to uh, impact the world around us. And I think that the more we try to um, uh, talk about these issues in college, the more uh, it'll help us decide in the future what, how we would want to better impact the environment around us. Mm-hmm. Well, that was amazing. <laughs> that was a really great hour. Um, I think we learned a lot. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much yes. for having us. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems yeah. like it's after we're all moving into like the visions that you all want. And yeah. I'm super excited about next semester. And it seems like everyone else is here yeah. too. What about your vision? <laughs> <laughs> My vision um, may not be. Uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit more radical. I don't know. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I think this is a really great show. Um, this has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. <laughs>